All right, so we are in lesson 36 of this evangelism training course that um, we are going through. You remember that the, the aim of all this is to create a culture of evangelism here at DRBC where it's not just, so that's why we're talking about sharing testimonies about what's going on to remind one another this is going to also help keep each other accountable and follow up and all of that kind of stuff and that we're coming to the Lord and praying and asking for His help. And then what we're doing is we're taking... Um, yeah, taking little topics that uh, seem of interest uh, to help sharpen every week something a little different, a different aspect. A lot of these are going to overlap with things that we've heard before, but they're just constant reminders from different angles um, uh, about important issues in regards to evangelism. So, Lesson 36, Evangelism and Long-Term Relationships. Um, let's just take a minute. I know we heard a couple, but who's somebody that you've been witnessing to for more than a year. You can think of somebody that you've yeah, shared the gospel with, trying to share the gospel with, uh, that this relationship's been going for more than, a, more than a year. So I can think of my neighbor, uh, Adam, another neighbor, Mark, um, a guy named Dan, who's a, a dad on one of the, uh, the soccer teams that I coach, um, Matthew, Chris, two of my um, uh, cousins who are, uh, in diff for different reasons, far from the Lord. Um, I could go on, but those are some people that are kind of in my, my world. So who's, who's somebody that you've been sharing the gospel with for more than a year? Yep. That's all right. You've actually arrived. No worries. There you go. Somebody else that maybe you've been sharing the gospel with for a while? My brother Nathan. Okay. For many years. And he's really just kind of brought me to the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Yeah. Anybody else? Ben? My parents, especially my dad. Mm -hmm. I had a list of conversations we've had in a note on my phone. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, I would hope that all of us could find somebody in our minds that we're we're thinking about that um, maybe we haven't um, yeah we haven't seen them come to faith yet, but we've been sharing with them for for quite a while. When we think about evangelism, sometimes evangelism is a sprint, meaning you meet somebody and you're like, have you ever? thought about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. And then boom, you're in and you're, you're already in the deep end and you're just having the conversation, right? But I find that very often um, evangelism is more of a marathon, that it is, it's a long-term um, conversation. Things go well, things like, what happened? They're not interested anymore at all. Oh, they're interested again. Or no, they're not. Or, and there's a, there's a like, a, it's a long marathon um, sort of enduring ups and downs and um, hopefulness and then struggle in the midst of the whole thing. Um, and I think that that is, 
it's helpful for us to keep the long view in mind when we're thinking about having evangelistic relationships, knowing that God is working in people's lives um, at different paces, and we don't know where you're going to fit into this process uh, of Him drawing people to Himself. That again, He's the great evangelist, and we're getting in on what He's up to, and we're asking for God to, to help us. So what we're going to look at this morning are seven... Um, words of wisdom, seven principles um, to help guide your evangelism and long-term relationships. These are not the only seven things that we could come up with, but they were seven when I think about that help me in my own uh, relationships that are, are long-term. What, uh, yeah, what, what, can we, what can we do? How can we think? Um, for number one, the first is cons- consider God's patient love. Consider God's patient love. Um, let's see here. Who can uh, turn for me to 1 John chapter 4, 19? Thank you. Uh, who can get Malachi 3, 6? Thank you. Who can get 2 Peter 3, 9? Thank you. Um, and then who can go to Luke 15? All right, got that. Thanks. All right, so just listen to a few of, of these, these verses here. Um, 1 John 4, 19. So we love him because he first loves us, and that's in the context of us loving others. So we're also loving others because he first loved us. Okay, good. Malachi 3 6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Yeah, so disobedient Israel, the reason that you've not been destroyed yet is because I have a very, very, very patient love with you. All right? 2 Peter 3, 9, this is in the context of Jesus' promised return and a bunch of scoffers uh, saying, oh yeah, well, he hadn't come yet. Why is Jesus waiting so long to return and fulfill his promise? 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Good. So God has not brought wrath yet on, on all sinners because he desires to save sinners. So one of the things that's helpful for us as we think about enduring in relationships with people who don't yet know the Lord is to remember how, how God loves His people, right? God's love for His people is marked by patience and perseverance and steadfastness. And as we delight in God's patience toward us, it gives us strength to be able to patiently continue in loving others who may be difficult to love. So one of the most important things in life, when you think about how hard it is to, to love other people, is to remember that you too are, more, are difficult to love, right? And, and think about how patient God has been uh, with, with, with you. I think one of the classic pictures of this is the story of the prodigal son. Uh, so just listen to this from Luke chapter 15. Um, ben, why don't you pick it up? Just do uh, verse 18 till I interrupt you. Um, this is the, the prodigal son. He's gone out from his father. He's left home. He's out in the pigsty. He comes to his senses. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Yeah, good. His son said to him, that would be good, actually. So I just want us to notice here the posture of the father. The father notices here, he, he sees him from a long way off, which oftentimes people say implies that he's, he's kind of always looking on the horizon, hoping that his, 
his son's going to come home. And that he's obviously done some heart work to where he's ready to embrace him if he, he sees him. And the father runs to him and embraces him. And he doesn't start with that, you know what, I told you you'd be back. You know, he doesn't, it's not where he goes. He loves him, right? And that is a picture of the love that God has for, for his people as well. So I think one of the most important things that you can do to help you to persist in loving people that you're evangelizing to is to remember how God has loved you. To remember his patient, steadfast love toward you who are, yeah, who's also difficult to love. So I would, I would ask you, are you moved by, um, by compassion? And, and care and consideration of the, the, the well-being of, of those who don't, don't believe because um, that is fueled being able to, to persist in all of that by, by seeing God's love for you. So study God's love, delight in it, and it will fuel your long-term evangelism. Number two, and we'll, we'll do a few of these and then we'll, we'll do some discussion. So if you have questions, just jot them down and we'll, we'll circle back a little bit. Uh, number, number two, Persist in hopeful prayer. Persist in hopeful prayer. If I could get somebody to get Romans 10.1. You can get that for me. Romans 10.1. Thank you. And then Ephesians 6.17 through 20. Thank you, Nathan. Okay. Um, so number two here, persist in hopeful prayer. So because God is the great evangelist who loves and pursues sinners, we must persist in prayer. And if you know, the picture is trying to keep up with what God is doing. Lord, help me to care about what you're doing in people's lives. Lord, would you change their hearts? Lord, would you use me in whatever way might be, be helpful? All right. Just listen to this heart attitude of, of both passion for the lost and prayerfulness for, for the lost found in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about his beloved Jewish brothers and sisters in, in the flesh who don't know Jesus yet. Go ahead. He says, this is my heart's desire and my prayer for them, that they may be saved. And the implication here is that this is an ongoing posture. And that passion for them comes from being loved by God. And this prayerfulness is fueled by a hope in God that if God can save me, he can save them. Um, so, Lord, please change them, save them. Um, yeah, so we should persist in hopeful prayer. Listen to this uh, word from Charles Spurgeon uh, speaking about um, kind of the, the way that we ought view um, our role in trying to hinder sinners from hell and to help them to heaven. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. So he says, if people are going to run to hell, which they will, let it not be without a Christian along the way trying to hinder them from running to the destruction that they blindly think is life, that we want to pray for them and plead with God to interrupt their path toward um, judgment and that we might be bold in in praying and reaching, reaching out. This is also part of the spiritual warfare uh, that, characteristic, that characterizes the Christian life, that we are 
fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil, Ephesians chapter 2, and that we do this in the strength of the Lord, that we put on the armor of God, which is to hide ourselves by faith in Christ and what He is doing. And listen to this, uh, I think, Nathan, you've got this, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 17 through 20. Good. So pray at all times, persevere in it, making supplication for believers, yes, but also that he might have boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel implied here to unbelievers. So he's asking the church to be praying for him continually that he's going to be sharing the gospel. So this is why you want to persist in prayer. This is part of spiritual warfare. And if you think that prayer is not spiritual warfare, just Try praying for 20 minutes and see how distracted you get and how many other things you can think of, of doing, right? Um, but this is, we want to war against um, the evil one and all of his devices by coming to, to the Lord. And, and you want to persist knowing that it may take a very long time for somebody to come to faith. November 1846, long time ago, George Mueller uh, began praying for God to save five of his closest friends. He prayed for them every single day, by name, without exception. After five years, the first person came to Christ. After ten years, two more came to know Christ. He prayed for another 25 years and then saw the fourth man be saved. And then for the fifth person, he prayed all the way up until the day that he died. And then a few months after his death, that fifth person came to know the Lord. Um, he had prayed for that man for 52 years, and only death interrupted it. Now, we don't always see the people that we pray for come to know the Lord, but I thought, what an example of someone who would persist in prayer for five years for the first person, <laughs> 10 years for numbers two and three. I mean, he prayed for this one friend for 52 years, and the Lord ended up saving him. Yes, God is the evangelist. Yes, God ordains his people and will save them. But prayer is part of the means that he uses to draw people to himself. God calls us to persist in it. So in your long-term relationships, persist in prayer. I'll pause there. Any, any questions or um, insightful comments about um, those first two principles. We want to consider God's patient love toward us and how that fuels us to continue to love others and to persist in hopeful prayer, knowing that God is able to save. So we would help, well, we would hope that He would and plead that He would um, and pray, ask, seek, knock, keep on, ask, keep on, seek, keep on, knock. Anybody have any questions or, or comments about that or any particular ways that you try to, to cultivate some of that? Yeah. When I say what? So, um, yeah, the, the desire of Lord soon come soon, um, and Lord, would you tarry in patience because there's people that I want to come to know you. Um, 
I think there's that tension should always be there in, in one sense. I think one eclipses the other. Um, the desire for the Lord to come and us to be with him should be our greatest joy. Sure, yeah. And I think that um, we've got to remember that we're, we're, we don't love lost people more than God does. And so when he comes, it's going to be the right time. And I think we, we need to even desire him even above anything else. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, a, I think I know what you mean. And I, I think it's, it is good for there to be attention. So if, if when you say, come, come Lord Jesus, your mind doesn't go to someone who right now wouldn't be in glory with you. I might ask the Lord to correct that in your heart. Say, Lord, actually help me to be concerned about the eternal destinies of, of people. So, yeah, that's good. Yes. It's a lot of it's a lot of days and good math. Nice work. Nice work. That's good. You know, I think the closer we stay to the Lord and the more that we know that he is able to do anything, that's the hopefulness is in God and his ability to do it. Um, not necessarily in the certainty that he will in the way that we want him to or the timing that we want him to. I think we can beg for him to do it and we can plead for him to do it. Um, but ultimately, we need to be praying, God, would your will be done? <laughs> but Lord, we know that you desire none to perish and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. So would you save this person, please? Um, and I think entrusting your heart to him which will be part of the will wind up there and maybe we can even follow up on that and see how that connects with with the second one that's a good that's a good word so good why don't we go on to number three then um let's see here who could do uh, matthew seven twelve for us who can get that thank you Aaron. um luke 10 just go to luke 10 and i'll tell you where to where to read all right thank you and then mark uh two 13 and following. Who can read that one for us? All right, thanks. All right, number three is remember that people aren't projects. Remember that people aren't projects. Were you guys trying to guess what it was back there? Yeah. Did you have it? Purple. Uh, people aren't purple either, unless something's <laughs> terribly wrong, and then, well, then you need to call 911. Yes, that's right. So, but people, remember that people aren't, aren't projects, okay? So people aren't, aren't projects. So, the reason I think it's important for us to remember this is you know, part of evangelism is, is taking genuine interest in other people. Um, not only with the goal of seeing them come to know Christ. We always want that. We're always praying for that. And yes, that's the ultimate thing that, that we want. But also learning to really love them. To, to, to care for them as someone who God created and God loves, that they're an image bearer, um, and that God has arranged, for whatever reason, for you to know them and to be in their lives, um, and to remember that they are they're people and they're not projects. I think that's really important. Uh, I know sometimes in evangelism we can, we can turn people into projects or little targets that we're trying to like get, you know, um, and that's just not the way that God would have us to look at people. Um, who had Matthew seven twelve? Can read that for us. Yeah, Aaron. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, you also do to them. Mm -hmm. 
Right? This is often known as the golden rule. Jesus summarizes the law and the prophets, and it's to whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. None of us like being treated like projects. Nobody wants us to, to, you know, to just fit in or to treat us in such a way they're trying to, to get us to do something. So I'm not sure if you've ever had, had a friend that you like or somebody you've met and things are going well, and then all of a sudden they're trying to sell you something. You're like, did you just try to get to know me because you wanted me and you're, you know, like, and that, that is not, yeah, I'm not saying you can't do business with one another, but I think you know what I mean by that. And that's where non-believers can smell that. Um, that if, if they can tell that you don't actually care about them, but you're just trying to get them in your, you know, a notch in your evangelism belt, um, that's not going to endear trust or help them to see even a right reflection of how God actually loves them. Um, so God, God is, um, yeah, to love, delights in them for who, who they are as uniquely created uh, image bearers. Now, Luke chapter 10, um, this is uh, the story of the, the Good Samaritan. Um, likely for, familiar with this, they asked Jesus, um, you know, who is my neighbor? And he tells this story about uh, a priest or a guy who gets beat up um, and on his way uh, down this, this road heading back home. And um, a priest and then a Levite go by and they don't help him. And then a Samaritan comes on the scene. So who had Luke 10? All right, why don't you pick it up in verse 33. Good. Think about the way that this Samaritan, who Jesus holds up an example of being a neighbor. Um, tell me about what he did for this man. What, what characterized it? Compassion. Compassion. Generosity. Generosity. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Took care of practical needs. Right. So he didn't just sit there and be like, hey, what you really need while you're about to die is Jesus. Right now, doesn't mean that if that, that you don't have that conversation with somebody, if there's a car accident and they're they're about to die, that you're like, OK, listen, we've called 911, but I need you to listen to me right now and share the gospel. Certainly. Um, but this is he has he sees him as a person and he loves him as he would want somebody to love him. I mean, he, he sacrifices his stuff in order to meet this person's immediate needs, then gives his credit card to this guy, and he's like, hey, I'll be back in a couple days. Watch over him. I'll pay anything else that's, you know, that doesn't, uh, that's not covered. He, he cares about him, and I think this is one of the things that should mark the love of believers for non-believers, that we want to enter into their lives. Um, learn about their hopes. Learn about their dreams. Learn about the things that they care about. Figure out what their pains are, um, their desires. Take, take interest in, in, in learning casual things about them and monumental things. Like, get to know people. This is, this is important, right? Um, one way to do this is invite them into your life. So, hospitality. How is hospitality helpful in evangelism? 
How, how can inviting somebody into your world, to your home, to your, your life, how can that be helpful in evangelism? How can God maybe use that? Well, they see your world. Good. For one thing. Yeah. Why? Because you're bringing somebody in. It's like there, there's a vulnerability aspect mm-hmm. to that. Good. It's, you know, sort of the you know, walk on the walk, talk on the talk kind of thing. Good. Faith is something that can be seen, right? Jesus, Jesus saw their faith and he then healed, right? So, yeah. It, it, it breaks down barriers. It allows them to see the gospel lived out. Um, it's really interesting when you think about Jesus' initial invitation to the disciples in John chapter 1. It is, they say, he says to them, come and see, come and see. And then they go to where he was dwelling and they hung out with him. There's something about Jesus' ministry that was very much, come along with me and let's do life and see, see what's different. See what you hear. Uh, or listen, to, listen to things that are different. See what you see. You'll notice there's a distinction here. Okay. Now, were you going to say something? Yeah, it's personal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they really get to know you. It's just it's personal. That's good. Because a lot of people can think of religion as this cold, dead thing that happens in a building that's totally irrelevant and disconnected from life. But when they see, they hear things there, but then they see it lived out, it, it confuses people in a good way. They're like, huh. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's what hospitality is. It's entertaining strangers. It's a, that's what the word literally means uh, lover of strangers. Um, and so you're, you're bringing people in and, and you're, you're, you're turning strangers into, into friends. Um, yeah. Now, the flip side of that um, in regards to still under remember that people aren't projects, invite them into your life. The flip side is spend time on their turf as well. So I think it's important for us to be thoughtful of ways that we can enter into their world to not show that we are, you know, we're so holy we can never go to whatever you're doing. Now, of course, we want to avoid sin and all of that kind of stuff, but um, humbly entering into their world communicates real interest and and concern. Um, So what are some ways that you can enter into, yeah, your non-believing or yet-to-be-believing friends' lives? What are ways that you can do that? You can get into their turf. Besides just inviting yourself over to their house. Hey, I'd love to come over to your house sometime and have dinner. Um, uh, you could do that. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know. But what, what are some other things that you could do? Yeah. Help them around the house if they need help or something. Good. Yeah, so if you know they got a project at the house, you're like, hey, you need some help painting? I'd love to come over. Actually, we could probably get a couple guys from the, the church. And, uh, you know, maybe we could bring some burgers and we'd grill. And we'd love to help paint or do your yard or whatever. Something like that. Offering something like that. Um, that, can, that can be confusing to people, you know, and be like, Wow. I know, um, I know one of the big ministries of the campus ministry I was a part of at Virginia Tech was that first week uh, at, at, at college, um, there would be teams that would move, go out and meet people who were moving into the dorms and help them carry stuff in and help them do stuff. And they're like, why are you doing this? You're like, well, we just want to welcome you. We're Christians and this is what we do. And they were so confused as to why somebody would just help them move in. 
Uh, and certainly they invited them to a, to a weekly meeting and that kind of stuff, but they were just there to, to be a blessing. They entered in and helped with, with something. Good. What other, what other ways? If they have hobbies, like, um, you know, I, I, a buddy played, played softball, and I don't care much about adult softball, but listen, I was happy to, went to a game, watched, hung out, and you know, I mean, like, there's something about showing interest and, and caring, and, and I, I did care about it more because he was playing, right? Um, so interest, hobbies, maybe they're, you know, their kids do something and they invite you to come or whatever it may be. Um, if there's a funeral, um, you know, show up. You know, if somebody in their family died and, you know, it's within reason, a couple hours away or whatever it may be, you show up and say, hey, I just wanted you to know I've been praying for your family. That communicates something. People remember that stuff. Um, be a good friend. And I think this is, this is one way to continue to show, show, show love, right? Um, Chadwick? I love offering rides. I yeah. Those yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And that the conversation right? There is, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, the Mark passage we're actually just going to skip over in light of time was the scene where Jesus was in Levi's house um, there with the tax collectors and, and sinners. And you'll remember that the religious leaders said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This Jesus is always around sinners. He's not sinning with them, but he's hanging out with them. Could the same accusation be made about you? They're like, you know what? You're always hanging out with people who don't know the Lord. Um, that, that's a, I think that's a, a helpful thing. So talk about or love people, get to know them. Um, I've got all kinds of examples here, but, but in light of time, I, just, I think you get the idea. People are, are people, not projects. Okay? And keep that in mind. Fight against that at all costs. That being said, number four, have a defining conversation. Have defining conversations. What? What? Oh, I know. I couldn't. I'm going to need some help with this. I'm supposed to turn it into an article for somebody. So if you can come up with some peas, that'd be persuasive conversation. There you go. So that's good. Were all the other ones P? Oh, goodness. I didn't even notice. Say it just comes natural. It's a gift. There you go. Praise the Lord. There's another P. All right. Um, so uh, have uh, persuasive conversations. What do you think I mean by this? Patient evangelism can easily become passive non-evangelism. You know, where you're just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna love them. I'm gonna be around them. I'm occasionally gonna say something about church, and they're probably at some point gonna be like, please tell me about this Jesus that you worship. And maybe they will. But I want to encourage you as you're thinking about these relationships with people that are kind of longer term, that you make sure you have a point that you can look back to and say, we had the talk. And, and how you get into that conversation takes some wisdom, takes some prayer. But I can think about the people who are in, in my, my life that have these ongoing conversations. Um, I know whether I've had that talk with them or not. Um, so for instance, Dan, one of the, one of the dads, um, he, Mentioned in passing his dad had been a POW and that he had written a book. And so I got the book and it's like this big, which I can't read that well anyway. So I'm trying to, trying to make it through some of it. But I wanted to learn more about that. And then it, it brought up that one of the things he thinks about a lot is death. And so we got to have a real good conversation. And I just was able to be really, really clear with him about 
how Jesus is, is the hope. And that Hebrews says that everybody is, fears death in the sense that everybody's going to die and nobody knows what's going to happen after unless somebody comes back from the dead. And the good news is that Jesus did come back from the dead and he told us that he died and rose from the dead to forgive our sins so that that which would send us to judgment sends us to the throne of grace where he loves to give grace and forgive us so you can know him and have hope. We were able to have that conversation. We were sitting at Ted's Montana Grill and that booth, I can see in my mind. And like, so we, we had that convo. Um, I encourage you to work for that. And, and you can just be real straight with people and just be like, hey, listen, would it be okay with you if I just took a couple minutes and shared with you what I think about Jesus and what I want you to know about Jesus? Because this is the most important thing in my world. And, and I, want, I want it to make sense to you why I pray for you and just so you know if you ever have any questions I'd love to answer them. would it be okay if I shared that with you and sometimes it'd be like listen bro I don't want to talk about your Jesus stuff you'd be like okay that's fine um, if you'd ever want to I would love to follow up and we can talk about following up but but I think trying to have that gospel conversation is really really important otherwise you can just become passive and you want to guard against that um, so there's lots of, again, examples that I could give here. Um, but a, a non-biblical example is, is my, my wife, Carrie, the way she witnessed to her dad um, was really encouraging to me. Like she knew that he was not a believer um, and had some really clear gospel conversations with him. Invited me into some of those conversations as well. And um, I think that gave her a lot of peace when he, when he ended up dying is that she knew um, that she had had very clear conversations. Because you got to remember that you never know when somebody's going to move off or when somebody's going to die. You shared last summer about uh, somebody that you've been witnessing to who ended up dying. And, I mean, we just, you just don't know. So patience, yes, but clarity, yes. Asking God to know how to be both patient and urgent. We had another class on that earlier. You can look it up. But patience and urgency, both of those got to be held together. So have that defining conversation. Okay. So I would ask you, who are the non-Christians that you need to sit down with and have a gospel conversation? Be intentional and, and share that with one another so you can keep each other accountable in it. Number five. Let's go ahead and do number five here. Involve the church in evangelism. Involve partners in the... Golly, you guys are going to have to... You are so good. This is why I see doing this together. Persuasive. Golly, this is so much better with you. Okay, here we go. Involve partners in evangelism. All right. Um, God often uses multiple people to minister the gospel to, to unbelievers. Who could read for me 1 Corinthians 3? Somebody who hasn't read yet, maybe. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. Would anybody be willing to do that who hasn't read? All right, thank you, uh, Anthony. Go ahead and listen to this. This isn't a reproof about a totally different subject, but the principle remains. So it's totally out of context for the purpose I'm using it, but it still, it still works, okay? Go ahead. After all, Jesus of Apollos, who is Paul, we are only God's servants through whom we believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed Good. So he's talking to these Corinthians who are all like, oh, I'm of Paul, well, I'm of Apollos. And like, well, we're of Jesus, of course, you know, and like you've got all these factions. And he's like, listen up, y'all, stop it. Think about it. God's the one who made you grow. God used different people. 
It's the same thing in evangelism. How many of you had more than one person share the gospel with you before you became a Christian? I had like 17 people share the gospel with me, literally. I wrote them all down. I know, I mean, I had multiple people witnessing to me. And the Lord used them in different ways to sow seeds and to water and to witness and to all kinds of I still remember, I still remember a coach. Uh, he was like, so I don't know where he was in the, in the, in the list of 17, but when we played basketball, he would always say gummit" instead of cuss. And I always just made fun of him about it. And then one time I was like, why do you always just say that? Uh, and he said, well, because I'm a Christian and I'm trying to honor God with the way that I talk. And I just remember that stuck with me. It was just a little thing, but he took the opportunity to, to, to say something. Um, and God, God used that. So there's lots of different things that God uses. So I want to encourage you to involve partners um, in your evangelism. Invite the church in. So the corporate witness of the, the church is a powerful tool in proclaiming and portraying the saving grace of God to, to non, non-believers, right? So be intentional to bring non-believing friends in contact with other Christians. God can use their wisdom, their experiences, their insights, he, he uses all these different things um, as part of the, the, the witnessing puzzle for, for people. Um, and one of the things would be like, all these people are so different, but they're saying the same thing. They're, they're pointing to the same hope. So you've got some biochemist over here, and then you've got a, a plumber over here, and you've got a teacher over here, and you've got you know, somebody who doesn't know what they're going to do with their life over here. And then, but they all have the same hope, and it's Jesus. And I think God uses that in, in pretty, pretty powerful ways. Um, yeah, so be intentional to get, help them to see kingdom community lived out. Anybody have any questions or comments about, about either of those? The uh, defining, or I guess do we have three? Um, people, are pro- people are not projects, uh, have persuasive relationships, and involve partners in evangelism. Yeah. Why? Because Jesus says they'll know we're Christians by our love. love. Yeah, it's it's remarkable how I show respect to somebody that I know. Just not just because I'm friends, and sometimes even more so when they can recognize that personality-wise you're very different, Mm -hmm. and yet you show respect and love and care for somebody who's very different from you. Right. That's really different from the world. Yeah. It should, when they're hanging around Christians and they see such differences, they should be baffled by how do y'all love each other the way you do with such tenderness and gentleness and compassion and thoughtfulness when you really have nothing in common. Because the world is all about tribalism and drawing lines and trying to find, you know, demonize your people who are different than you. And this is why Satan, one of his great tactics is to try and do the same within the church. And I mean, I think we've seen him gain some ground in this in recent years. Um, But this is why humility and charity and gentleness toward people who have differing opinions, even if it's about things that really, really matter, you can still be kind to people and kind about people um, in a way that is going to be compelling and commend the gospel. So, yeah, it's good. Yep. Tell it.
That's really good. Good. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Um, I, th I think an, another, another way that, a, that bringing people into community is, is important is not only for the non-believer um, to be able to see things that are different, but, but it brings both accountability and encouragement for you. It brings accountability of like, hey, how's it, how's it going with that neighbor? You know that neighbor that came over to the birthday party? How's that, how's that going? Because now I'll think about that when I see you guys. I'll be like, I want to know how's it going, right? Um, or if, you know, Ben hangs out with his dad, I want to know. So any convos? Did he end up coming to church this time or not? Or how's it going? Like, like those are conversations that are, that are going to be ongoing, you know? If I see Dumbermuth kids, I'll be like, so who are some of the kids at school? How's it going? You know, who can we pray for? Um, those kinds of things. It, it adds a level of accountability if in the church it's a culture of this is what we do. Do. It, it's not just some event. So people are always asking like, hey, can we do an evangelism event? Yes. It's called go to work. It's called <laughs> have people over for a barbecue. It's called like do life with people and invite, invite people in. Like, I just think that's so much, um, so much more effective and real than, than just events. I'm not saying events can't be used. God can certainly use them. But I put them lower on the effectiveness sort of uh, spectrum, just in light of the fact that there's something about seeing real life lived out. So that's, that's my personal take. But um, yeah, so how can you bring some, some yet-to-be-believing friends uh, into the sphere of your, your believing friends? Number six, I have no pee. Um, yeah, well, we already, so we, already have, we already have a pray. We, I have keep watch for open doors, but I... We already have pray and think about it. All right, so long-term evangelistic relationships are more of an art than a science. So we are, think about this, we're loving God, we're persisting in prayer, right? Remembering that they're not projects. We want to have a defining conversation with them. Uh, we want to involve other people in, and as we're doing normal life with them, we always want to be watching for open doors. What's a way in? that we can, I'm all for Jesus jukes, okay? I think there's corny ways to do it, um, but, but I think I'm all for trying to bring it back to the Lord, um, not in every conversation, um, but so you don't need to pressurize every moment, right? Every moment doesn't need to be the eternal conversation right now. But I do think you always want to be kind of watching and saying, what might the Lord be doing here? So let me just read for you Colossians 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Declare the mystery of Christ on account, which I, for, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul's perspective here is, I'm going out, pray for God to open doors. Pray for God to give me wisdom of what to say and when to say, when to not say, when to press, when to not press. So evangelism and these long-term relations is, is, is more of an art than it is a science. It's almost like a you know, double dutch, you know, jumping rope, like you're trying to figure out when, you, when are you going to jump in? Like now's the time to jump in, which I have no coordination, so I just fell down. But like the, you know, like the, the image is trying to figure out when do you hop in and like, okay, time to hop out. And we're going to talk about something else. And you want to pray for the Spirit to give you wisdom to know when and how. Um, some of us are maybe too aggressive. Some of us are maybe too cowardly. 
And we just need wisdom from the Lord to know when to be which, when to be more bold and when to be more, I'm going to hold back on this. Um, and that just takes, it takes discernment, right? So I want to be clear, never hide that you're a Christian. So if, if you're hanging out with somebody for a while, it's been like four months, and then you're like, I want to talk to you about the most thing, important thing in my life, his name is Jesus. And they're like, ah, I had no clue. Um, that's probably not serving them. And it probably means you haven't, you're either not living well as a Christian or you've been just, just honest with them out of fear, right? So people are going to pick up pretty quickly that you're a Christian. I mean, if you go out to eat, you may not be like, all right, everybody, let's all pray before we eat. If, if they invited you to go, but you may stop and pray. But if you invited them, be like, hey, just so you know, I may even tell them beforehand, hey, just so you know, we're going to pray over a meal. If that's weird for you, I just wanted you to know that it's coming. Um, kind of give them a little bit of a heads up. Um, and, but you be yourself. You do what you would do, right? Um, yeah. And um, so never hide that you're a Christian, but take the long view. Don't pressurize every interaction to be a conversation about eternity. Pray for God to give you wisdom. So a few ways uh, to, you can do this in regards to watching for open doors. You can always be praying for them and sometimes tell them when you're praying for them. So not in a Matthew 6, oh, I'm trying to get glory kind of way, but in a way that you're like, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. So, for instance, a friend of mine, uh, his mother died um, about six months ago uh, from cancer. And he came to mind when I was preparing this. I was like, oh, this is a first Mother's Day without his mom. So I texted him yesterday and said, hey, I just want you to know, I know this last Mother's Day was probably really hard for you, so I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And he wrote back and said thanks. And, um, you know, those little things like that, God can use, that's a way in, right? Um, Another way is to invite, invite them to to read the scriptures with you. Um, Maybe you can send them a verse and be like, hey, this may be weird for you, but I read this verse today and I thought about you. Hey, here you go. Um, Invite them to church. Right? So be praying for them, invite them to either read the word or to come to church. Another thing you can do is um, ask follow-up questions about the Lord. So let's say you've had a defining conversation and it's been a little while. Be like, hey, listen, I don't know if you remember or not, but a couple years ago or a couple months ago, whenever it was, we talked about the Lord and there was something that you said that I've always just kind of wondered, um, yeah, what, have you, what do you think about that? Have you thought about that anymore? And just kind of follow up questions about the Lord in some way. So like if I follow up, next time I talk with Dan, I may ask him, be like, hey, how's this stuff about death? Is it still kind of weighing on you? How are you thinking about that? I know we talked about that a little bit. So picking up on things that you can go back to and ask questions about. Again, watching, uh, watch for uh, God's providence. What are circumstances in life, either tragedies or illnesses or celebrations um, that you can can you know, get in on. So like if their kids are just graduating from some, something, you can maybe write a little note and send them and be like, hey, just want to let you know, congratulations. You know, here's a $10 gift card or something. And, you know, and, and tell the parents, hey, congratulations, they made it, you know, um, or whatever it may be. Stuff like that. Look for ways in that you could be a good friend um, and, and pray for God to give you wisdom of how you might, might use it. Um, and then another part of this under, under number six with looking for open doors is to confess Confess any sins that they might see you doing. So you don't need to come to them and be like, I need to confess to you something you don't know anything about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if they saw you sharp at work with somebody, you need to go and apologize with the person you were sharp with. And then you need to come back and be like, hey, listen, I know you were around me the other day when I you know, headbutted that dude at the copier. And I need you to know that Jesus wouldn't headbutt people at the copier. And I'm really sorry that you saw that. That was not a good witness, right? So, I mean, whatever it is, I think being, being honest about those struggles is really helpful. 
Because sometimes people think of Christians as these people who have it all together, and you want to help them to see that I don't have it all together, Jesus holds me together. So life doesn't just automatically get super better because you're following Jesus, but there is a hope that we have in the midst of it, right? Um, so yeah, being thoughtful, asking for forgiveness if you've offended them or let them down. Um, those are important things. Showing that humility and vulnerability and the fact that you lean into Jesus for help puts on display the practical life of the gospel. Then, final thing is to, um, no P here either, but maybe, uh, hold on, <laughs> or praise, praise, there we go, we'll do praise, all right, um, praise God no matter what, huh, it's fine, I, well, I had to, it, it hit me in the moment, but it's fine, but praise God no matter what, it was delight in God no matter what. Which is, yeah, so it's a different side of it. But um, what I mean by this is sometimes you're going to see people come to know the Lord that you really want them to come to the Lord. And then sometimes there's going to be people that you just keep praying for and you just never, never see them change. And it can tempt you toward despair and maybe even frustration with God in a way that this comes back to what I was trying to get at originally with, with your, your uh, comment about like, come soon, Lord Jesus, wait, is that I, th- I think we want to, what tethers us, number one and number seven, is that we want to we be as God-centered in all of this as possible. And that keeps us, that's the ballast in the bottom of our boat that keeps us from being tossed to and fro. It's what holds us fast. So I mentioned Carrie and her conversations with her dad uh, about him not knowing the Lord and, uh, and, and her gospel conversations. Well, her father ended up dying. Um, we didn't talk to him his last three days, so we don't know. He knew who to cry out to in his final moments. Um, but we saw, we saw no evidence that he came to know the Lord. And that was really hard, as you might imagine, for Carrie. Very disorienting. Like She's like, why did God change my heart toward my dad to be willing to love him and because he was a bad dude um why did god change my heart and then burden me to pray for him all the time and then him not come to know him why did god do that right and what the lord she wrote a really good blog post about this by the way um, which i'd be happy to pass along if you want it you can email me but um psalm 131 was really helpful for her it it was it, it, it brought her back home it says this O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. She said, His ways are above my ways and His thoughts are above my thoughts. And He knows what He's doing in a way that He just calls me to say, Carrie, come here. I know. I've got you. And she said she was able to trust him and praise him and delight in him in a way that held her fast even when God didn't answer the prayer the way that she had longed for him to. That's a very final example. Some of you are praying for people who that's, that's not the case yet. But I encourage you to not lose heart and to not get disillusioned with God if the process of long-term evangelism doesn't go the way that you're 
maybe expecting or hoping that it might. But know that He is your hope. So Galatians 6, 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Caleb. No, that's good. That's good. Any final comments, questions, thoughts, anything that you think is missing uh, from this lesson or anything that uh, was particularly helpful for you as we prepare to, to head out? I know we're a couple minutes over. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about uh, when you watch Jesus' ministry, he was totally fine with leaving people just hanging. He's like, you're close to the kingdom of God. And he walks away. <laughs> he's just like, he's just totally fine with that. And I think it's okay to leave, leave things un, unfinished. I think it's a good, that's a good word. Yeah. Know that God is working, but being intentional the whole time. So it's a good word. Good. All right. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your... Your grace, we thank you that you're, you have a, a patient love toward us, and we pray that that would move us to have a patient, persistent love toward others. We pray that you would burden us to persist in, in prayer, and might it be hopeful prayer, knowing that you are able to do anything. Nothing is impossible um, with you. Uh, would you also help us to remember that people are not projects? Would you help us to love them? Um, yeah, love them as you love them as image bearers and people that Christ suffered and died for. Would you also help us to have uh, yeah, defining or persuasive conversations? Would you give us boldness and compassion and um, courage, Lord, to be able to sit down and have conversations and um, yeah, to know questions to ask and when to just leave it alone and when to enter back in? Would you give grace there? Would you give us wisdom about partnering um, with other believers in evangelism and how we can invite people to, to come and to see not just our faith, but the faith of your people uh, lived out? God, would you help us to yeah, 
constantly be looking for uh, open doors that you might uh, move and um, that we would have um, yeah, wisdom of how to enter in. And uh, would you help us in all of this to, to praise you and to delight in you and to hope in you, um, even when yeah, you don't act in the timing or the way that we would want, would you help us to not lose heart, um, but to, to continue to, to lean upon you and to know that you are working in ways that we can't even see. We pray in the name of Jesus.